Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Well, 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 here we are. Happy Monday, everybody. My name is Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press today. Monday, May 8th. Oh, shoot. You know what? It's my mom's birthday. Just realized that. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Oh, crap. Happy birthday, mom. I just remember. I, I, I got her. I have her a gift all lined up, by the way. Like, I get her the same gift every year. It's just a subscription thing. So it's already done, but I completely forgot. Oh, boy. Hey, happy Monday, May the 8th. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill Press today. Thank you. Thank you. Whether you're listening to us in Chicago or listening to us on the uh, TuneIn app, which a lot of people listen to us on, you can take us uh, with you wherever you are. Just listen to us on the WCPT on the uh, TuneIn app. Or whether you're watching us on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show or on Free Speech TV, on DirecTV or Dish Network, or on the Roku box. Whether you listen to the podcast on iTunes, just search for The Bill Press Show, or go to our website, BillPressShow.com, or whether you're following us on Twitter, at BP Show. We thank you, all of you, for tuning in, however you are reaching out. What a weekend we had. It was a big derby weekend. We can talk about that. We've got lots of other great guests coming up today. We're going to talk about religion with our friend Jack Jenkins. We're going to talk to Melanie Zanona from The Hill about all things transportation. There are a lot of things in the transportation world that are sort of getting lost. We're going to talk to with Melanie and our buddy Joel Payne, uh, formerly of the Hillary Clinton campaign, currently with Corvus. He'll be in in the third hour of the program. We've got all of that to cover but first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning. We begin with the box office. Uh, we went to go see this movie on Thursday, Peter. Yes. Big debut for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. $145 million debut in North America. The full global debut looking around $200 million, which will mark the second largest of the year. Uh, following Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Huge numbers. Big numbers. Yeah, big numbers. Huge numbers. Actually, 54% higher than Volume 1's debut, Guardian of the Galaxy Volume 1. So No kidding. Sometimes sequels really do perform at a higher rate 
You look at the top five from the box office this weekend. Guardians of the Galaxy, of course, number one. Number two, The Fate of the Furious. What is that, the seventh Fast and the Furious movie? Uh, hot take, I have never seen any of the Fast and the Furious movies. Neither have I. Not one. I know a lot of people that it's that's their guilty pleasure. It's not mine. Hmm. I, 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 I can't get behind it. I think it's the seventh or eighth. I mean, good grief. Number three is The Boss Baby, the animated film with Alec Baldwin. Number four, How to Be a Latin Lover. I have no idea what that is. And number five, Beauty and the Beast. Still, huh? Yeah. Uh, let's look at the MTV Movie and TV Awards. That's right. It's no longer just the MTV Movie Awards. It's the MTV Movie and it, TV Was that last Awards. night? That was last night. Yeah, Jeez. believe it or not. So I'm sure none of you watched. I'll give you some of the big I'm highlights. I'm 37. I don't, I, I don't, I, I can't watch them. Movie of the Year, which by the way, here are the nominees. Beauty and the Beast, Get Out, Logan. There you go. Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and The Edge of 17. Can you guess who won Movie of the Year? What was Edge of 17? Uh, it's you know a, I think that that's a teen fic movie. Is that right? Do you know this? What's Edge of 17? It's it is oh, yeah. honestly it's one of my top three favorite songs that Stevie Nicks does. All right, well, who do you think won Movie of the Year out of that uh, out of that list? Uh, get out. Nope, Beauty and the Beast. That's that's the uh, crowd. There. Now, now you know why I'm not watching. All right, Show of the Year: Atlanta, Game of Thrones, Insecure, Pretty Little Liars, Stranger Things, This Is Us. It's not a bad list. Who won that it's one? Not a great list either. I'm going to say uh, Game of Thrones because it's Game of Thrones did not win. Stranger Things won. Think of your that's audience. A stupid show, uh, Peter. Stranger and... Things is a stupid show. I don't know what some of these other stuff is. Next Generation, Best Duo, Best Musical Moment. Here's the thing. I try. I actually tried to watch it, and uh, it was blocked on my on my cable thing. And I called Verizon, and I was like, hey, what's going on? They're like, no, 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 you can't watch it. I said, oh, is there an outage? They said, no, you're 37. You can't watch the MTV Music or Movie and TV Awards. So I missed it. Now you know who won. Yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Happy Monday, everybody. May the 8th. What a big day for France yesterday. I want to start there just really quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it is a big deal. It is worth pointing out that, um, wow, elections can be won when you run as a hyper-progressive candidate against a nationalist uh, candidate who plays onto people's worst uh, fears. Huh. Isn't that weird? Almost like maybe we could have done that here in America and maybe had a little bit more success. But uh, good, good, good for the people of France for showing up and voting in the 39-year-old president, Mr. Macron, Emmanuel Macron. That's huge. 39? I'm so, I'm like I'm two years away from that. I'm less than two years away from that. What am I doing? No, I'm not. I'm not running the country. That's for damn sure. You know my favorite thing about Emmanuel Macron is what that he married his older teacher. Yeah, his teacher. I love it. I like p- people. I don't know how big of a deal that was in France, but like that would be the only thing people talked about if it happened here. Just the gender dynamic alone, right? It's it, sure. it, the other way around. It is like almost expected in certain cases. Sure. Look at what David Brooks did. Uh, but I mean, like incredible story, incredible defeat. It's, uh, it's good for France. He's still a centrist though. He's not, you know, he's not the Bernie Sanders. He's not the Bernie Sanders, but he is closer to a a progressive candidate than, than, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go down this path, but it can calm down. 
but he's a more progressive candidate than <clears throat> the one that we offered in 2016. I'll just say that. Um, but congratulations. It wasn't just a little win either. I mean, people were sort of concerned about how this was all going to play out with the polling. The polling was definitely going his favor, but he ended up winning a lot bigger than uh, some of the polling. Uh, uh, was looking with about 90% of the votes counted. Macron had 64% of the vote with Marine Le Pen had 36%. So farewell to Marine Le Pen, the nationalist uh candidate who was playing onto everybody's worst fears and France joined together the big Vive la France and yes, Vive la République there he is Vive la France there we go congratulations by the way I think Nate Silver who uh, as Bill would say had some egg on his face sure uh, after the 2016 election said that uh, pollsters underestimated Macron more than they underestimated Trump they sure did that's huge they sure did the yeah it, I mean it I think that France, this was a very clear moment for them to send a message, and they certainly lived up to it, right? They they lived for the moment. They delivered in the in the moment, and I thought that was a uh, uh, a little bit of good news. There were a lot of people who were excited to see at least one country not completely f it up like we have. So good for France. We'll we'll see what happens uh, there. By the way, did you do the did you, did you do a derby thing? It was the derby weekend. Did you watch the derby, Jamie? Yeah, I watched it. I, I mean, it was I was like rushing around Saturday evening trying to get to dinner a, together. So I went to a derby party, but I didn't watch the actual derby. I think horse racing is unbelievably cruel. Did they have to shoot any of the horses at the end? No, they didn't have to shoot any of the horses. That's at the good. End. So that's a win. Because when that happens, it it makes me really sad. It happens a lot. Yeah, horses aren't supposed to run that fast. You got to put a horse out of its misery because horses are they not break meant a leg to run during the yeah. And they, it if doesn't, they break it anything, heal. they're done. Right? Yeah, they're done. Yeah, because it doesn't heal. Uh, and, they're, they're, and they're such fragile animals; they're not supposed to run that fast. It's cruel. But boy, do I love bourbon! So uh, I did go and I drank some bourbon. Uh, conservative ahead. estimate: How much bourbon did you take in on Saturday evening? Uh, that is not a question I'm prepared to answer <laughs> because I honestly don't. Do know. you do the mint juleps? So here's the deal: I go to my one of my favorite bars in Richmond, a place called Rogue Gentleman. They do. Yeah. They did a. a menu of juleps so they had like six different kinds of juleps how, how does that work Do they all have mint in them all of them have mint in them and they all have the crushed ice in the julep cup and they have mm-hmm. some form of simple syrup and bourbon but they're also like variations on it right like an apple mint or like a there's a, there was one of them had like a banana situation whoa not it was good i don't love nan nans but these this was delicious uh they had another one that was like a bourbon and there was a rum situation happening there with a pineapple okay yeah, no, no, it was good. It was really good. <laughs> so I had all, I had all of them. I and I saw you had a, a chicken biscuit. So I had a delicious chicken biscuit. Made sure there was a sponge there. You got to have a little something that yeah. look, look. I'm a professional. All right, if you're gonna go out, and you're gonna drink a ton of bourbon. What you really got to do is lay down that foundation of a good solid fried chicken biscuit with a little honey, a little hot sauce. We did all right. We did all right on Saturday. Okay, so. Everywhere I go and everybody wants to talk about the healthcare situation and what happened last week with the Republicans who sort of took over the House, got the House to finally vote on the AHCA, the Republican plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. And it's like one thing we have to remember here, this is very important, is that it is not a law. It is nowhere close to being a law yet. 
I know there are a lot of people who are posting about, oh, my health care is going to be gone. And, and like, you have reason to be concerned and you should be worried. But nothing has happened yet. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is it all rests in the hands of the United States Senate, which that should concern you. That actually could should concern you. Uh, I want to play a, quick, a couple of quick clips. Uh, but first of all, I want to get that Susan Collins clip, Jamie, because Susan Collins is one of those people that, like, we've gotten to the point where we call any Republican who is not for the re- total repeal of Obamacare a moderate, which is BS. They're just vulnerable and they're feeling the heat, so they got to, like, step up. Susan Collins is one of those Republicans who is genuinely, I'd say, a moderate. Not great, but a, like a, a genuine moderate. And so she sort of came out and like, you, you have to realize the next step here is it's out of the House, going to go to the Senate. And Susan Collins sort of said what we all expect. The House bill is not going to come before us. The Senate is starting from scratch. We're going to draft our own bill. And I'm convinced that we're going to take the time to do it right. Okay. So she acknowledges that the Senate is basically going to come up with a whole new bill, an entirely new bill. So all this crap fumbling back and forth for weeks, dare I say years, that the Republicans were trying to get some sort of a a health care plan together means absolutely nothing. <laughs> like the Senate might use this as some sort of a guideline for how they're going to redo it, but probably not. And so there are even a lot of Democrats who are going to tell you, oh, don't worry about it because, you know, the Senate is full with grownups and there's there's checks and balances in place to make sure that this uh, medieval bill that the House pushed through the Senate won't let that become law. That, there's just no way. Well, I have some bear, some bad news for you. If you're counting on this Senate, excuse me, Ted Cruz, John Cornyn, Tom Cotton, and all those other giant stacks of white beef in the Senate to save your health care, guys, I've got some bad news. They're not going to do it. And yeah, technically, that's how it's supposed to work. There's supposed to be the checks and balances. There was also a system in place of checks and balances to make sure that a maniac wasn't elected president. And we failed that test. So we live in dark times. We live in deeply, deeply troubling times. And here's the thing that's so scary to me. And here's the thing that you all have to pay attention to, whether it's your elected official or your government officials who go on TV or whether it's your dirtbag neighbor, your MAGA alt-right neighbor who wants to talk about all the great things that Donald Trump is doing. Listen to Tom Price. Because Tom Price made the rounds yesterday telling flat-out lies just lying. First one, he was on CNN with Jake Tapper, where he talked about Medicaid. Now, listen to what he says. Listen to what he says about Medicaid, because Medicaid is going to get cut. 
Here's what Tom Price said. Absolutely not. And, and, and we believe strongly that the Medicaid population that will be cared for in a better way under our program because it'll be more responsive to them. These decisions will be made closer to them. Right now, you've got Washington, D.C. dictating to the states and dictating to patients exactly what must occur. That's not how a, a healthy health system works. Oh, God. I feel, Jamie, do we have duct tape? I want to duct tape my head to keep it from exploding. I don't think he. I just don't think he understands it. We're talking oh. about millions of Americans, but like, <laughs> like, why are you touting your program when millions of Americans are going to lose that coverage? Okay, just just to spell this out, okay. He says Medicaid would not be cut. The bill that the Republicans in the House pushed out would slash Medicaid funding dramatically, dramatically. A- absolutely not. That's a lie. That's a lie. The Repu- I'm going to read straight from the uh, Puffington Host. Our good friend Dave Jamison wrote a great piece. Uh, quote, in fact, the Republican bill that was passed in the House last week would cut federal funding for Medicaid by an estimated $839 billion. That is according to the Congressional Budget Office. End quote. So it is going to cut Medicaid by an estimated $839 billion. And not to mention, Paul Ryan has made a career out of running around saying he wants to cut Medicaid. Paul Ryan says he's been dreaming of slashing Medicaid since he was doing keg stands in college. I think this is kind of a bogus attack from the left. That liar. Liar. By the way, that's a quote. From Paul Ryan, that he's been dreaming about slashing Medicaid since he was drinking at a kegger in college. I didn't make that up. He said that at a news conference with Kevin McCarthy. You just have to have some balls to run out there on TV when you've got the bill out there that does what the what it cuts Medicaid. And to say, no, 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 it doesn't cut Medicaid. What are you talking about? Paul Ryan, uh, the, the first clip, Jamie, where he says it's a complicated issue. Healthcare is a complicated and very emotional and personal issue, and we completely understand that. The system's failing. We're stepping in front of it and rescuing people from a collapsing system. And more importantly, we're keeping our word. Do you remember before Obamacare came along what a disaster this was? Healthcare, where we were. This bill would put us back there even worse than where we were. I don't like Obamacare. I don't like the Affordable Care Act. And now here we are having to fight and argue for that system, which is absolutely the lesser of two evils. We've said many times, my biggest problem with the Affordable Care Act, with Obamacare, is that the health care companies continue to stay in the mix. And this not only continues to keep them in the mix, the Republican plan, keeps them in the mix, it puts them back in total control. And that is horrifying. By the way, you see uh, Paul Ryan's national press secretary, her very bad weekend. Let me tell you something. Do, do you know about Ashley Strong? Yeah. Okay, so. I saw these tweets. Do you have the tweets? I have the tweets, yeah. So Ashley Strong uh, is Paul Ryan's national press secretary. She's out there quite a bit. She has almost 10,000 followers on Twitter. She tweets on uh, Saturday. While we're setting the record straight, the American Health Care Act was posted online a month ago, went through four committees, and has been scored by CBO twice. Lie. That's a lie. 
July. Uh, doubles down. CBO has scored the health care bill twice. Hashtag facts. March 13th. March 23rd with two links. Seems like an awful long time That's ago. An awful long time ago, Jamie. The, uh, yeah, bill geez. has changed a bit. <laughs> then she tweets, reporters trying to reach me for inquiry. Email is best today. My feed is cluttered with the quote, tolerant left oh, swearing yeah. at me. Like, this is Snowflake. The, this is the thing. Yeah, exactly. This is the thing that drives me so nuts is Republicans will say something that is an out-and-out out lie, just a falsehood. And people say, oh, no, that's a lie, and you're a liar for telling it. They go, oh, the tolerant left strikes again. No, I mean, like, like if you lie and you call out on it, that's not someone attacking you in your personal space. They're calling a lie a lie because you are a liar. Paul Ryan was asked about that whole idea that the bill has been online forever uh, by George Stephanopoulos. Um, what, can you play that clip? Let me play that. The bill has been online for two months. Uh, the bill has been in its final version for a long time. It, it, the, the final version was an amendment that was three pages long. It takes you 30 seconds to read. That's wrong. I mean, look, we went through a million different, quote, final versions of the bill, right? We had so many different uh, iterations of it that, like, yeah, you know what? I would probably need a little more time to read the bill and all the changes uh, besides the, uh, the, like, the night before, which is how this happened. And the CBO score didn't even happen before they voted on the second one. Whatever grief you want to give Democrats for however they ran the uh, passage of Obamacare. And by the way, I got gripes about how they did that. But if you griped about that, you cannot. You cannot say that the Republicans did a better job of that. That's just clown S. Clown. I would like to read the Obamacare bill. If you recall when Obamacare was passed in 2010, 2009, 2010, Nancy Pelosi said you'll know what's in it after we pass it. The Republican Party shouldn't act in the same way. Yeah. Rand Paul, again, getting it right. March 3rd. Rand Paul getting it right. Rand Paul gets it right sometimes, y'all. I know you don't like to hear that. I don't like to say it either, but Rand Paul absolutely gets it right. This is so, to me, like, I don't want to go off on a on a socialism rant, right? But, like, this to me is what, when people talk about late capitalism, people talk about capitalism on steroids, look no further than the goddamn healthcare insurers in this country and what they do to Americans. Look no further than right there. Think of the consequences of running a company based on profiting off of health care. Think about that. Think about that. Your job is to profit off of people's illnesses, pain, and suffering, and you want to make sure that you can maximize your dollars off of that industry. Hey, man, you want to work in that industry? You want to make some money? You want to go to school and build up loads of debt from going to school? That's cool. You deserve to go make that coin. Everybody has that. I mean, that absolutely. But when you get into the business of bilking seniors and people who can't afford to buy health care, like this House bill wants to just completely ruin people who cannot afford health care. Just completely ruin them. Now, what I love is that people are still fired up about this. People are still going out 
and they're letting their members of Congress know exactly where they screwed up. Tom Reed from New York was talking about the Affordable Health Care Act. I'm very comfortable uh, in, in taking the position that this is a step uh, in the process of dealing with what's collapsing under the Affordable Care Act. So we have read that, that bill. Get his ass. Get his ass. Lies. They start. I love it. Uh, and then this clip to me, folks, I just, this is the, this is the distillation of the hateful, spiteful Republicans who operate off of this disgusting theory that the only reason anybody ever needs to get health care is because they made poor decisions in their life. That's how Paul Ryan governs. That's how Ted Cruz governs. And that's how Raul Labrador, where's he from, Idaho? This is how he confronts this with uh, his constituents in a town hall. And he, well, I'll, I'll let the clip speak for itself. You are mandating people on Medicaid except dying. You are making a mandate. No, no one wants anybody to die. You know, that, that line is so indefensible. Nobody dies because they don't have access to health care. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a simple fact. Here's a simple fact. Yeah. GOP members of Congress that get overly defensive and accusatory toward their own constituents at these town halls most likely to be ousted in 2018. Fair. Is that a fair? A fa- fair that is statement? a fair comment. Just don't do it. Yeah. Look, I mean, you, go to the town halls, listen have to what discourse they have to say. Absolutely. with your constituents. You can Absolutely. disagree, but don't act like that. You're I, an idiot. I can't think of a worse look for a politician. Than, than what just happened right there. Labrador going out there and saying, no one has died from from uh, a- inadequate health care. What a shocking display of ignorance. What a stunning, stunning show of cruelty. You don't think that anybody in this country has ever died because they couldn't afford health care? You should have a few more town halls and talk to your people because I promise you there are people in every city in America whose lives have been touched because someone in their family couldn't get the proper health care that they need. That is a reality that every single American has been touched by in one way or another, whether it's them or their parents or their children or uh, their extended family. Matter of fact, should we get some tweets? Do you have tweets? I got tweets. God, I love when you have tweets. Give me those tweets. Yeah, at BP Show. We're on Twitter, at BP Show. Please send us some tweets your way if you have some thoughts on what we're talking about. Kevin Miller says, Tom Price said that not all healthcare users should be treated equally on Jake Tapper's program. That is the definition of discrimination. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an excellent tweet. Our buddy Kurt Herner, the 2018 midterm bumper sticker. $880 billion in Medicaid cuts for $592 billion in tax cuts for the wealthiest Americans. That's a good tweet. And our friend Celeste Holmes, you go, tweeting oh, at you, Peter hey, Ogburn. Right, what's up, Celeste? You Tell doing? it like it is about health care. That's what I do. That's what I do. Keep it real. Hey, Celeste. Keep it 100. Uh, thank you for your tweets. We are tweeting at BP Show, at BP Show. I'm also tweeting at Peter Ogburn, at Peter Ogburn. Um, 
one final story on this. I hesitate to get into this, but, you know, what, what am I going to do? Everybody talked a lot about this MacArthur Act last week. This is all around uh, Congressman Tom MacArthur. He's from New Jersey. He, some people call him a moderate. I'm not so convinced that he's a moderate. But he is the one that sort of put new life into this effort of getting the House bill out of the House because of the MacArthur Amendment, which we have talked about. The MacArthur Amendment allows states to opt out of some of the insurance mandates that require benefits packages such as maternity care or hospitalization, right? So, like, all this talk about women being a woman being a pre-existing condition, this is kind of where it comes from. Turns out, Tom and his wife, Debbie, had a child. Gracie was born with severe health issues. It was during the first four months of her pregnancy that the young couple was told that the brain would not fully develop on the child. They struggled to find a doctor who didn't advocate terminating the pregnancy and would care for his wife and their baby through the difficult pregnancy. They didn't have uh, great health care. She passed away when she was 11 years old. She never walked. She lived a life of unspeakable pain. She could only say a few words. She suffered from severe seizures her whole life. At the time that his daughter passed away, Congressman Tom MacArthur had $1 million in medical costs. And that is for someone who had health insurance. It didn't cover everything. Jesus. So this ghoul, this goblin, watched as his daughter died, racking up a million dollars in medical bills, a million dollars worth of medical bills. And he is okay with other Americans saying the same thing because this is what happens when you leave the for-profit healthcare industry in charge of it. This is what happens. They don't care about Tom MacArthur's baby. They don't care about your grandma. They don't care about your spouse. They just want to make that money. That's all it is to them. And shame on Tom MacArthur for coming out there and pushing this bill and sort of helping to build this back up again after going through that. What a life story on that guy. The the fact that he learned zero lessons, shameful. Shameful. Money is a hell of a drug. Money is a hell of a drug, man. Uh, thanks to NBCNews.com, uh, who I, I pulled from for some of those details. On the MacArthur thing, but what a terrible, terrible story. I just, ugh. It's just like. The big lesson here, I'll, I'll leave with something optimistic, okay? Because Barack Obama yesterday spoke. I mean, we should play one little clip just to hear his voice again, Jamie. The one where he talks about health care was uh, hard. Getting health care reform was hard because Barack Obama won a Profile and Courage Award from the JFK Library in Boston yesterday, and he gave a little speech, and he talked about health care. There was a reason why health care reform had not been accomplished before. It was hard. It involved a sixth of the economy and all manner of stakeholders and interests. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, health care is hard. But here's the lesson. Barack Obama, when he was president, tried to find that compromise that would make Republicans happy. He picked a Republican plan. For the ACA. This is not some grand progressive idea. This was a Republican plan. 
And he went down this path because he thought that it would appease Republicans and make them happy enough to leave it alone and keep it in place and that they would work with him on it. They never worked with him on it. They're actively working to repeal it. So the next Democratic candidate that runs for president, single payer or get out of the door. That's it. There can be no compromise. From here on out, we want single payer. We better fight for it. No more compromise. Republicans aren't going to compromise. You think that the, you think that this bill, you think this bill that came out of the House is a compromise on any level at all? Not even a little bit. Fight for single payer. What do we have to lose? What are we going to do? Water it down? Only have Republicans not work with them? Out of here. Find us on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. And by the way, I didn't mention earlier. A lot of people ask us uh, via Twitter, how can we help the show? How can we help the show? Folks, I have a very, very exciting new way that you can help the show. It's called Patreon, patreon.com slash BP show, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show. Now, we put our show out every day on YouTube for free. We put it on iTunes for free. But on Patreon, we're asking if you could kick in a little bit of money. We're going to give you some cool stuff. So it's not like we're just asking for a donation. We're going to give you some stuff for it. Several different tiers of how you can contribute. The real sweet spot for you would be if you give us $5 a month, commit to giving us $5 a month, we're going to give you some very exciting new content. We're going to get out of the studio. We're going to go interview people in their offices and in their studios. As a matter of fact, we put the Greta Van Susteren interview up there last week. Uh, $5 a month, you could go access it right now. Greta talks about the differences between covering uh, Barack Obama and Donald Trump. She talks about the differences between CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC. She's worked for all three. And she even talked about the Bill O'Reilly firing for the sexual misconduct. She's got something in, in that video as well. But you can only see it if you kick us about five bucks on Patreon. But if you want to kick in more, we've got other cool premiums for you as well. A live video stream uh, privately just for the people who contribute $10 or more. And also there is a... Uh, Option for Bill to leave you a personalized voicemail greeting. I might, I might do that mm-hmm. just to get a personalized. And he'll say whatever you want. I've never gotten a voicemail from Bill Press. Yeah, yeah, be, that'd be worthwhile. Anyway, it's Patreon.com/slash/BPShow. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot uh, com slash BP show. So go check that out, y'all. I'd really appreciate it. Coming up next, we're going to talk to our very good friend, senior religion reporter for Think Progress, the one and only Jack Jenkins is in the studio. Stay tuned. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press. We'll be right back. So we have read that. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show. Thank you so very much for tuning in on this Monday, May the 8th. I, I realized as I started the program this morning and I read today's date, it's my mother's birthday. Aww. So happy birthday. She's not going to watch. I don't think she's ever watched the show. By the way, you know Postmates, the delivery app? Yeah. Sent me a post notification yesterday. Post, 
push notification. Push notification. Sorry, I'm getting the postmates right. in all that confused. Happy Mother's Day. Dude, this Did happened to me. Did you get your gift yet? This happened to me. I freaked out. <laughs> I thought that yesterday was Mother's Day, and I lost it. Awful. I get, yeah. I, lo- I was like, oh, my God. It wasn't for Postmates. It was something else. But I was like, oh, my God. Is today Mother's Day? I think I'm going to delete the app. You sure? That's how unhappy I am. <laughs> um, joining us now is senior religion reporter for Think Progress, Jack Jenkins. Hey, Jack. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. Follow him on Twitter at Jack M. Jenkins and online at thinkprogress.org. We got so much stuff to talk about. We always have so much stuff to talk about with you because religion and politics, it's it's always a thing, especially with uh, Donald Trump. I want want to jump right into your most recent piece. All right. Meet the evangelicals who still love Trump. This is, speaking of my mother- Evangelicals who love Trump. Right. Uh, right. This is this is uh, a, a source of great contention in my house. Uh, <laughs> but like, I was set off last week or the week before when Jerry Falwell Jr. said that Donald Trump is a dream, dream president, a dream president for evangelicals. <laughs> How do they justify that, Jack? So this was uh, I wanted to write this story mostly because I heard that similar comment and wanted to see. Um, how evangelicals feel about Trump now. And and there were a few polls that came out um, in the last couple of weeks that show that over 70% of white evangelical Protestants are still big fans of Trump. And he won about 80% of white evangelical Protestants on election day. So this is a constituency that he has won handedly. But as you note, it seems like something that would – it surprised um, some commentators who do religion and politics because certain aspects of conservative Christianity would not lend themselves to supporting someone like Donald Trump, right? Like yeah. the his personal behavior, the videos yeah. that came out. These are things that would be antithetical to traditional conservative Christian beliefs. But what I found when I interviewed a few different evangelicals right before the election is that they didn't particularly like Trump as a person. But more than anything else, they wanted a conservative on the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, Trump had promised to do that. So as long as he came through in that promise, they were happy. And sure enough, the ones I interviewed last week, um, the conservative Christians I interviewed, that was their number one um, you know, source of happiness regarding Trump. You know, they would say, well, I don't think he really handled the rollout of his various executive orders, quote unquote, um, very well. He said they, they, they think he gets too bogged down in his personal life and in talking about his his ratings. Um, but at the end of the day, they got Neil Gorsuch as a Supreme Court justice. And from their perspective, that is one of the most important things. For evangelicals, he's he's a dream Ju- justice. Right. Well, so like I see the the like the calculation on their part. Right. And and this is primarily white evangelical Protestants. Um, one of the guys I spoke with is a guy in South Carolina, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you know, for him, these other aspects of his administration were, you know, going hard on ISIS, um, especially support for Israel, too. You know, they see um, the previous administration's relationship with Israel as more frayed. Um, but they really like Trump's at least, you know, rhetoric around Israel. But um, at the end of the day, they the, the Supreme Court appointment matters more than anything else. Now, that's not the same thing. You don't get the same answer when you um, interview other members of the evangelical fold. So the other part of that article is I interviewed one of the leaders of uh, the Natural um, Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. 
And that's a, a Hispanic evangelical community. And he had a slightly different answer. Yeah. Um, he, again, applauded Trump for his support for Israel and for the Supreme Court and then spent the next 45 minutes talking about immigration reform and the need for immigration reform and how he wanted to push the president to embrace something along those lines. What's so fascinating to me is, like, especially under Obama, we saw this weird, I shouldn't say weird, weird for me, Mm -hmm. evolution of, like, there are highly religious thought leaders, right, who are coming out and saying, like, you know, some of these ideas the Democrats are pushing are really closer to what Jesus would have taught or Jesus taught. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, I never heard that growing up, and and you don't hear a lot of Democrats really making that argument either. But, like, we take care of people who need help. We don't discriminate against people for any reason, whether or not they're gay or whatever, you know, whatever. And they and you you see Democrats making a religious argument for these things, which has not always been the case. Right. It's been uh, Democrats have made religious arguments, but in some ways, um, Obama was was more overtly religious than um, even some past presidents, mm. um, certainly more overtly religious than Donald Trump. And so he kind of gave some space for a progressive faith argument to kind of pop up in, in contemporary politics. So you saw politicians inciting their faith on a regular basis, even when they were embracing progressive causes. When Claire McCaskill Caskell and Obama and even Hillary Clinton, when all of them announced their support for same-sex marriage, all three of them cited their faith. Yeah. And so for because the, for them, there had become a space where you could be um, a person of faith and a supporter of same-sex marriage um, and LGBTQ identities. So so that's that's a, and it's certainly growing now because that the, the religious left, as it were, um, has only gotten stronger under Trump. I was going to say we're going to see more growth there. Oh yeah, and because and and look, people have made the argument that you know mainstream liberals forgot about a lot of the Trump voters and didn't talk to them the way that they should be talked to or address their concerns where they should be addressed. I feel the same way about religious. Like, like I think that a lot of Democrats have thumbed their nose at all religious people for a long, long time and looked at them as ignorant and stupid. And right. And, and I think it's time to just say like, okay, all right. Like you can be a good liberal and also be religious. Right. And here's why. And I think the, 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 the main fear I think a lot of progressives and liberals have around religion and politics is sound in the sense that, like, progressives have a stronger sense of the separation of church and state. Interestingly, that concern is shared by most progressive people of faith. They also want to see a firm separation between church and state as traditionally defined. And so in, in the progressive religious left is never going to function the same way the religious right does, which is like this more top-down machine politics structure. Usually when the religious left is at its most helpful is when it's involved in protests and, you know, sh- you know the prophetic tradition is the term they use. Mm. Um, so it doesn't surprise a whole lot of people to find out that some of the folks that are helping organizing a lot of these marches and protests are the religious left yeah. people. Yeah, so, so absolutely. This is, this is their time to shine in a lot of ways. <laughs> Um, Donald Trump last week sort of rolling out his executive order Mm -hmm. on religious liberty. He had a couple of uh, comments. First of all, he talks about the financial threat against the religious community. This financial threat against the faith community is over. I want to dig into that comment. But first, let's hear the the second one because he talked about the, the choice that Americans have to make. No American should be forced to choose between the dictates of the federal government and the tenets of their faith. 
Okay, let's start with the first clip. The financial threat against the religious community. What kind of financial threat has the religious community been facing under Barack Obama? So what he's referring to is what's called the Johnson Amendment, mm-hmm. which is the po- a component of the U.S. tax code that means um, if you are a nonprofit, generally, and uh, a religious group specifically, if you endorse a candidate from the pulpit, you are at risk of losing your um, tax-exempt status as a nonprofit, right? Yeah, so yeah. if you, so you, technically, you can be a faith group and be deeply political. You're just not going to be a nonprofit faith group. Um, and so the, you know, what what he's referring to is 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 repealing the Johnson Amendment to some degree or impacting it. He's, this is a campaign promise that's gone back for a while. So that's the threat he's talking about. Um, now, the problem is, in practice, th- this isn't really a thing that's all, it's enforced to begin with. So since 2008, uh, a very small percentage of uh, the religious right has been pushing for this to be repealed from the tax code. And they have this thing. Uh, there's a litigation firm called the Alliance Defending Freedom that holds every year a thing called Pulpit Freedom Sunday, where anywhere from <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like 1,500 to 2,000 different uh, churches deliver a sermon in which they explicitly endorse a candidate or use explicitly political rhetoric, and then they record it, and then they mail it to the IRS (laughs) and dare them to do something about it. And that's about this Johnson Amendment, right? So here's the thing. Out of the (laughs) 2,000-plus churches that have participated in this, mostly conservative evangelical Christian churches, um, according to the Alliance Defending Freedom, just one has been audited by the IRS, and none of them have been punished. So this is already a thing that's only barely enforced to begin with. What in what the hell? What are we? I mean, what? Like, oh, oh. <laughs> I mean, I will say this though, and I don't want to give him too much credit, but Trump is bushian in the way that he is pretty good at politics, the optics of it, mm-hmm. right? Like the policy stuff has clearly been a problem for him, as, as he's finding out as more and more courts take a look at his executive orders, but like. The optics of going up there and doing that for his religious voters is pretty good. And actually, to your point, one, clearly optics matters to Trump more than oh, yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but the other part of that is that, like, this is this idea of repealing the Johnson Amendment is actually really unpopular with every group of faith. There was a 2016 PRI poll that said, um, that explicitly asked whether or not you should have more ex- uh, excessively political speech in a pulpit. And no major religious group in America supported it, including white evangelical Protestants. Even white evangelical Protestants were like, uh, uh, only a third supported this idea. Um, not, last month. Really? Not, yeah. Last month. Not, I find that fascinating. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not a popular idea. And huh. last month, 99 different religious groups, including entire denominations like the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America or the Presbyterian Church USA or the Episcopal Church, all signed on to a letter explicitly asking Congress not to repeal the Johnson Amendment and saying, you know, don't politicize our congregations. So this isn't actually a popular idea. Meanwhile, the executive order that Trump signed last week wasn't popular with conservatives either. He has the, you know, the, the, the uh, Heritage Foundation representatives said that it's, you know, um, it's woefully inadequate. The um, the Alliance Defending Freedom was hardly it said it was it left promises unfulfilled, and then we had um, uh, Dave French over the National Review said it's sorry you mean President French remember <laughs> remember this was the savior for the Republican Party savior. President David President French. French yeah okay cool I just want to make sure and his candidate for the next election is the Rock yes oh, of course. that's right that's right. That's, right. that's right how high will he go. Um, <laughs> 
but even he was like, "This is this is worse than in, inadequate. Like this is that this that this is not an effective executive order because it doesn't do anything." However, this that might still not be the message that voters receive, right? Right. So right. you know, because right. if they see this as a giant op-ed with a bunch of evangelical leaders. Uh, is this one of those executive orders that's going to find itself in the courts at some point, or it, was it even thorough enough to make it to that? So before this came out, um, because by the way, just to I don't mean to interrupt, but like just yeah. to give a little bit of background, like Trump has a, a sort of a habit now of doing these executive orders that don't actually do anything. Mm-hmm. They just sort of say like, "I am signing this executive order to say that I intend to." Talk to this person about this, right? And like they're showy, and they're, they're like I said, it's it's good for the politics, it's good for the optics, but they don't really actually do anything. So where does where does this fit in the executive order for the religious liberty? So the, the thing about this EO is that it was it had all this buildup because there was a, an alleged draft of it that leaked in February that was super expensive. Mm-hmm. It was going to get into if it, if that draft had been the executive order, it was going to get into um, things called religious based refusals where you could deny service to someone if they were gay or if they supported abortion or if they'd had premarital sex. Like there was like these sweeping. Um, you know, things that were going to be given to religious groups to, to, to deny and to discriminate. So the ACLU and other groups like, you know, lawyered up. They were primed to sue as soon as this EO dropped. After the exa- actual text of the executive order was signed, the ACLU was like, this isn't even worth suing over. So, <laughs> so they've, because it was all this buildup. And, right. it, and, and, it, and it, at the end of the day, it was an executive order that barely did anything. The one thing that, again, which is not something you could sue over, the one thing that folks do want to keep an eye on, though, is buried in this executive order is the idea that it gives um, the Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Uh oh. The Jefferson Sessions. Jefferson Sessions. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, (laughs) as it were. He he now gets to be the person who provides guidance to the administration for what the definition of religious liberty means. So it doesn't mean he gets full power, but he's the chief voice oh, in the boy. room, according to this EO, for what religious liberty means for the Trump administration. That should—that's uh, a little scary, right? And that's the part that that kind of got like you know missed by a lot of the coverage because a lot of the other provisions were were just—I mean, like the other one was about the uh, Obamacare contraception mandate, and it was basically said, hey. Other members of the other uh, leaders of the Trump administration, uh, you should consider maybe making it easier for people who literally yeah, the words consider yeah, it, yeah. folks who want to object to the contraception mandate on the basis of their faith, like issue consider issuing new orders to to lighten that. But that one little provision could end up being a thing later on down the road. So that's that's a good thing for us to keep our eye on. Yeah, because that that absolutely could be a problem. Right. I don't trust Jeff Sessions to do much. Um. Hey, I want to ask you about something else that we, we haven't talked about in a while, and I'm pretty sure you're covering this. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, anti-Semitism in right. this country, because I remember not, I mean, the, after the election, there were some major, major hate crimes that were being reported, um, more than we're used to seeing. I remember a time when I read the news and didn't read about Nazi uh, propaganda being spray-painted on churches. But we're back there again. How bad is it? And is it continuing? Because the coverage seems to have sort of waned a little bit. 
Right. So the coverage was really high when there was that spate of bomb threats yeah. that apparently was, were, as of right now, seem to have been perpetrated by two individuals, um, allegedly. One is uh, a guy who was trying to get back at his girlfriend, apparently. Yeah. And then the other one was a kid in Israel who had a satellite dish on his roof mm-hmm. and was going through a bunch of things. And it's unclear, it's unclear why the kid was doing it. Um, and so when those ended, kind of the coverage around anti-Semitism dropped. But the truth is, even outside of the bomb threats, it's a bad time um, if you're Jewish in America in terms of at risk of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, Anti-Defamation League released some numbers a couple weeks ago that showed how much of the uptick it was. I mean, it, it's been it's particularly since the election of Donald Trump. There seems to have been some sort of license given to um, anti-Semites to kind of take action. So it's not just bomb threats. It's also, you know, uh, cemetery desecrations. They're starting to see bullying in schools. They're starting to see um, things like uh, swastikas drawn on synagogues. And so th- a lot of this goes uncovered. And, you know, it, 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 it's a weird question as to, you know, as we talked about at the time, why it took Donald Trump so long to condemn anti-Semitism. Um, you know, he literally was asked three times in a week and kept dodging the question to talk about his ratings or blame other people. Um, but it's still a problem and it's still plaguing a whole lot of Jewish communities across America. And it's and it's something where um, while the media might be leaving it behind, a lot of Jewish communities aren't. Right. So you're seeing Jewish community centers and synagogues up their security measures. You know, a lot of security cameras are getting bought right now by faith communities. And so it, it continues to be a serious concern. Well, I mean, we definitely should keep eyes on that. Right. Right. And and you're right. There was no real serious condemnation uh, by the president or the administration, not even the the uh, uh, guiding hand of Ivanka Trump. <laughs> it's like, like when he, fi- he, he finally got around to condemning it and they've condemned it a couple of times since. But I think the I mean, it also didn't. So it took him a while. Right. And then there was, you know members of his administration who allegedly had Nazi ties who they had to like try to pull out of there. So there's been like a lot of complaints both the, about the administration's fail, failure to act on anti-Semitism and also whether or not anti-Semitism was embedded within the administration. Yeah. So Number two, racism. The least racist person. <laughs> yeah, see? So, oh, well, he said it. Problem so. solved. Okay. Asked and answered. Done. What else Done. do you want? All right, finally, because we've only got like uh, three minutes or so, a little less than three minutes. I want to talk about Benny Hinn. Oh, yes. I love Benny Hinn. I used to watch Benny Hinn. I used to watch Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar. There you go. All the time, but Benny Hinn's in trouble. He is. So first of all, I didn't know Benny Hinn was still around. Yeah, he is still a thing. Um, Man, apparently. Jamie, you ever watch Benny Hinn? You don't even know who Benny Hinn is. I know who Creflo Dollar is. I do not know who Benny Hinn is. Benny Hinn's like the old school Creflo Dollar. Yeah, he was he was before Creflo and right. Taffy. Oh, okay. Yeah, one of the one of the earlier prosperity gospel preachers. Yeah. Right. So the idea that that if you give money um, to the church, God will give you money back ostensibly. Yeah. Um, usually, interestingly, that funding stream tends to go in one direction. Yeah. So the um, so he's been kind of mired by scandal in general. Benny Hinn recently. I mean, he had a minor scandal actually with Paula White, who's the number one advisor to uh, Trump right now for, for faith com- concerns. They, according to the tabloids, I can neither confirm nor deny they, they had a, a either a, a very explicit relationship or one that, that, that became uncomfortable for the oh, media. Dear. And so he has been distancing himself from the rest of that camp. However, 
Um, Benny Hinn was one of several different groups, the uh, uh, prosperity gospel preachers, that were investigated by the Senate um, back in 2007, 2006, 2008 um, for, uh, you know, allegedly tax fraud and or the potential for mishandling of finances. So nothing had happened. But uh, as of a week or so ago, um, the IRS was filmed raiding Benny Hinn's offices. Free and, Benny! And it wasn't clear why, but when asked, when the, when the workers were asked, you know, what do you, what do, you do? They're like, well, we investigate tax evasion and tax fraud. So, oh, man. Th- Who would have thought? <laughs> wow. The most predictable headline ever. So, so we'll see what comes of it. But it's not the first time he's been investigated by the IRS. And, 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 and this, is, this is not for a breach of the Johnson Amendment. This is for a very different kind. Right. That's, it's important <laughs> to point out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, if you take one thing away from today's show, take this away. Don't give money to TV preachers. <laughs> Right? Like, if you want to give money to faith organizations, find one in your community that's helping people. That's cool. Don't give money to Benny Hinn. Don't give money to Creflo and Taffy Dollar. Give it to the Bill Press Show. Patreon.com backslash BP Show. That's a company man right there, Jack. That's a company man right there. That's I'm, uh, Even I'm impressed, and I'm a, I'm a hack. Uh, Jack, thanks for coming in, dude. Thanks for uh, follow me. Jack Jenkins on Twitter, Jack M. Jenkins. And read his good work, really and truly, at thinkprogress.org. It's fantastic writing. Uh, Always good to talk to you, Jack. Take a quick break. We'll be talking to Melanie Zanona from The Hill. Stay tuned. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is the Bill Press Show on a Monday, May the 8th. Thank you so very much for tuning in. My name is Peter Ogburn. Sitting in for Bill today, we are live on Free Speech TV. We are live on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And we are live on your favorite radio station, your favorite app. We got the we got the podcast. What do you, what do you want from us? We're, we're getting you everywhere we can. It's the Bill Price Show, uh, live and direct on a Monday. Uh, joining me in studio is staff writer for The Hill, Melanie Zanona. Did, uh, I, is yes. it, did I say your last name you right? You actually said it better than most people say it. Is that right? Yeah, you put a little flair on Up it. Top. Zanona. Zanona. <laughs> Melanie Zanona in the studio. Yes. I feel good about that. Thank you. Uh, did you have a good weekend? I did. I was actually in Wisconsin for a wedding. Oh, okay. Ate, ate a lot of beer and cheese. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Like, Wisconsin... Beer and cheese, yes. Beer and cheese, cold weather, it. but it was worth it. Cool. Spotted Excellent. cow, best beer ever. Wait, really? Yeah. They only What's spotted cow? I have heard good things about spotted cow. Re- it's incredible. Yeah. I'm a total lush, and I've never heard of it. You what? can only get it if you go in Wisconsin. They won't sell it anywhere else. What's the deal? What kind of beer is it? I have no idea. It's just really good. <laughs> <laughs> they have good IPAs. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Spotted cow. All right. All right. Well. Go to Wisconsin for Free plug the beer. for Wisconsin. Yeah, right? <laughs> we have, we have, you joined the, are you from Wisconsin? I'm not. I'm from Chicago. Okay. All right. 
We have a lot of Wisconsinites on the show. Emma Roller comes in. Yeah, yeah. Adam Walden. We had him on together one time. It was all, like literally Midwest, a whole conversation Wisconsin about cheese love, curds. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, we got lots of stuff to talk about, all things transportation with you. That's right. There's some things we haven't talked about enough on this show, and I want to get into it with you. Uh, we're going to do that in just a moment. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Jamie Benson with the headlines. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Monday morning. We'll start in Wisconsin on Saturday really? at the Kiwanis Club Pancake Day fundraiser. Did you go to this, Melanie? I did. Really? Racing in Wisconsin. Paul Ryan serving up pancakes and coffee. Taking a picture with a Wisconsin voter wearing a interesting T-shirt. In fact, a strongly anti-Republican T-shirt. Oh, dear. This gentleman's T-shirt said, repeal and go F yourself, <laughs> as a quote from the GOP. Nice. What they're doing to their constituents. Paul Ryan completely oblivious, smiling Shocked. as bright as ever in the photo. Shocked. It was tweeted to uh, John Favreau and John Lovett, the host's of the Pod Save America uh, podcast, and it went pretty viral on Twitter over the weekend. So good for that voter. I don't know his name. I don't think it ever listed his name, but uh, that's a bold move there. There's some anonymous right heroes out to. there. He's one of them. That's, that's correct. Right. I'm okay with that. Boston- I, I, I support that behavior, by the way. Yeah. Anybody's listening and wants to do that, <laughs> I I totally support that. And you get to go viral. Uh, from the uh, NPR affiliate in Boston, WBUR, they talked to the author James Dodson, He is a big golfer. He also co-wrote Arnold Palmer's memoir. He revealed three years ago he was invited to one of Donald Trump's golf clubs and ended up in a golf cart with Donald Trump's son, Eric. And Eric... uh, He's the one whose entire head is the same color. Hair, eyebrows, face, everything. Nosferatu. The whole is just a, a, like a turned shade of white. Right. So author James Dodson gets in the golf cart with Eric Trump, and he's asking him, where do you get all this money to fund these golf courses? Wasn't too long after the Great Recession. James Dodson knows it's hard to get these golf courses funded in America. Eric says, well, you know, Russia. He said, we don't have any trouble with Russia. James Dodson says, really? He says, quote, oh, yeah, we've got some guys that really, really love golf there, and they're really invested in our programs. We just go there all the time. Wonderful. That's just wonderful. Doesn't that make you feel good about the whole system? Fantastic. That's great. Absolutely fantastic. And we'll stop at the sports desk real quick. Uh, One of the longest games ever last night between the New York Yankees and the Chicago Cubs. Oh, yeah. Good good grief. It was an 18-inning game that ended at 1.15 a.m. Eastern time, or Central time, I should say. Probably still cold by then. (laughs) I like baseball, but no thank you. Monday morning. It's the longest interleague uh, baseball game in history, and it also had... 48 strikeouts. In oh that my game. God. Are you kidding me? Insane. <laughs> the Yankees top the Cubs 5 4. Could be a potential World Series matchup. Both these teams looking real good. Good grief. 18th. No, thank you. No, thank you. Uh, thank you, Jamie. We'll be right back very, very, very quickly. your radio on tv and online this is the bill press show it is the bill press show five minutes past the hour on a monday may 8th my name is peter ogburn thank you so very much for joining us uh in case you weren't listening to the first little part of the show the 18 inning baseball game That's last insane. night you're, you're are you a baseball fan i am a cubs fan too I don't are you a cubs I, fan yeah i am i don't think i could do 18 innings yeah, I'm not going to sit for 18 innings. They stop selling beer after the seventh inning. I know. It's just a very That's long the time. only point that you need. 
They yeah. stop ser- serving beer. There's no need to stick around. If a game goes into extra innings, at what point do you leave? Uh, I'll probably two. stay till the 13th. 13? Lucky 13? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably. And then right. you just yeah. go to the bar down the street and finish. Right. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, get yeah, to drink yeah. and it you get to finish the game. After. You and you're right; home. it gets cold. It was so cold this weekend in the Midwest too. No. Yeah, pass. Mm-mm. It's a no for me. <laughs> anyway, we didn't come. We didn't bring you in to talk about baseball, though. We can talk about <laughs> <Yeah>. baseball, <laughs> like the Nats bullpen. Good God, can we please like find some pitching, please? Ugh. Winning five to two in the eighth yesterday, and the, that Matt Albers, what an athlete. Gives up the game. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. That Jamie is wearing his Red Sox shirt because Jamie is that Boston fan. Like Boston oh, fan. Yeah. Boston fan is convinced that everybody around them forgets that they're Boston fans, so they have to tell you constantly, right. constantly that they're Boston you, fans. Right. So, oh, do, oh, you didn't mention the the. I'm trying to hide the shame of last night's. I, I noticed loss. your Red Sox. Uh, yeah. I didn't. I didn't see any Celtics. No gear. Celtics attire. I'm, I'm, Why not? What happened? I didn't stay up and watch the game. What happened? You know what? I turned the game off. And I turned it Oh, on why? Because it was such a blowout? It you guys beat the horrible. Wizards? I didn't stay up and watch the game. What happened? It's still going to seven. We're going to win in seven. What happened last night? They they got blown out by the by the Wizards. Oh, they wow. lost? Yeah. Did the Wizards go on a 26-0 run in the third quarter? That is precisely when I turned it off, Peter. Have you ever heard of a 20, I'm in a 26-0 run in a basketball game? Hey, how'd the Spurs do last night? Shimp. I, I, they lost. I don't know. Mm-hmm. win the series. I don't care. Mm-hmm. But, like... 26, no run. Just just to be clear, we're in the same same position here. It's embarrassing. Spurs, Celtics fan, same position right now. Well, the Rockets did go on a 26, no run on the Spurs last night, so I don't feel so bad about that. So we're not, we're not gonna... We got some politics to talk yeah, about? Talk People yeah. are freaking out right now. I'm sure like our audience is like shooting. They're going full Elvis, like shooting the TV screen. Melanie Zanona from The Hill is yes. with us. Hi, Melanie. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. Of so there, there are a lot of things like we talk about. I mean, there's so much stuff going on yes. here in D.C. It's just like a constant barrage of news. In the, um, in the last 24 hours, I mean, there's seriously. always so much news. It's hard to keep up with. I want to pick up on some stuff because you cover a lot of transportation issues. Right. United Airlines. Oh, yeah. Yes. United the villain, Airlines. The villain of the uh-huh. of the year so far. I flew them this weekend, actually. Did you really? I did. No well, problem. I, you, you look fine. No bust. Like, <laughs> no. your teeth are all there. Your nose is broken. smooth. Okay, good. Um, Extra nice, actually, I would say. I, I, would, yeah. I believe that, actually. I believe they're all sort of like... On their best behavior. Sliding us extra cookies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you fly United, ask for the extra bag of cookies. Yeah, they What are they going to do, you. say no? They will I don't not think deny so. you right now. Um, but the CEO of United was up in D.C. last week, That's right, right Oscar Munoz. Uh, and so Congress is doing what Congress does, grabbing onto a big story and trying to make it about them. But, like, there's some real reform that could probably happen to the airline industry. Right. Do they give any kind of ideas or outline of where they might take this? I think there are two things that Congress is looking at. Number one, it's this thing called the contract of carriage. And that is what airlines post on their website. They tell you all their boarding policies, uh, baggage fees, 46 pages long. Alaska Airlines is 67 pages long, all in legalese. Come on. No one ever looks at it, right? <laughs> Have you ever looked at the contract of carriage? Literally never. And when you're booking a flight, you automatically agree to that. Yep. And that's where it says we can overbook these flights and we can bump you off them against your will. Okay, really quickly. I, I want to talk about the overbooking of the flight. Yeah. Because as I understand it, so airlines have... A, just, I'm just throwing out a number. A hundred seats on an airplane, right? right. Roughly. Like they got a hundred seats on the airplane. They can sell a hundred tickets. And if someone doesn't show up, 
They can sell more than 100 tickets. Right. So that this the process right. of overbooking means that they can sell more than that 100. They, they sell more tickets than they actually have so that if someone doesn't right. show up for their flight, they not only charge the person who didn't show up, but then charge the person who they overbooked exactly. the flight to. Right. Which is a terrible business strategy. Yeah. But you are flirting with disaster. How can they do that? A couple ways. I mean, they often give volunteers incentives, mm. vouchers. I mean, I'm sure if you've ever flown, you heard people, they get on the mics and they say, yeah. hey, you know, we're offering $800 and $1,000 if someone wants to take a later flight. Um, and usually that works, but there are times when it doesn't. And that's when they have to force people off of their flight. So how I guess what I'm really what I really want to get is how is that legal? Because it seems Oh, it's it's legal. It's 100% legal. Yeah. Under current law, they are allowed to oversell and to bump passengers against their will. It's called uh denied involuntary boarding. Is the legal term That's for the legal term. I love and, I love the legal BS, of course. Right. There so there are rules that need to be followed though. They can't just bump someone off and not give them compensation. There's um depending on how much the flight was and how long it was. Uh, how long it takes for them to get another flight. There are a, a set of guidelines that need to be mm. followed in terms of how much they're allowed to get. They need to be given a written notice, why they were selected, how other passengers were able to stay on the flight, that sort of thing. So there are some rights here, um, but not many. The last time, I mean, there was a pretty serious overhaul of of like the customer bill of rights for airlines mm-hmm. under Obama. That's right. That The last update addressed tarmac delays. Right. right. When your That's plane right. is sitting on the tarmac right. for more than three hours, now they have to get you off or there's some hefty fines that are going to be attached to it. Knock on wood, I've never been on an airplane that was like horribly delayed like I, that. Or is three it, or four hours on tarmac, I can't even imagine. Oh, if I'm delayed on an airplane for more than an hour, like I'm immediately looking for- Getting like, antsy. Well, I'm trying to find a passenger to eat. Like I'm gonna, I, I, I will immediately start colonizing. Well, actually, that was part of the update. Is they're required to give you some food and water after really? a certain point, after the, two hours, I believe. But not the like the weakest food. passenger on the plane. Right, that's yeah. who I go to. I, I look for the the wounded passenger and then right. I just take, take him down. Um, but nothing was addressed about the overbooking then. No, um, I don't think Southwest came out and said they're not going to overbook anywhere, which was a huge really? deal. big deal. Um, but they have a different model than most people. Yeah. You know, you can switch your flights around on Southwest. You can cancel without any fee. Um, so I don't think that would work for something someone like United. But to be fair, Southwest is a, like, people love the company. That's right. They are making money. I mean, it's not like there's some floundering business that's trying to make a name right. for themselves. Like they, I would argue that Southwest is a big airline. They are. And they even said at the hearing last week, they said, we haven't noticed our um, you know, our business hurting because we instituted these policies and they don't charge for bags. They don't charge for a whole bunch of stuff. And that makes people want to fly them more. So they get yeah, more business. Sure. So so I guess it, it, how big of a part is overbooking into the airlines? It's bottom line. It's a big their business deal. Model, it yeah. is. It helps them compensate for no shows. Um and I, but I would argue, by the way, not, not to just to play devil's avocado here, right? Like they're already being compensated. That's true, and that is like, the, that is one of the paying for the seats. So it's not like they're saying, "Oh, well, well good, good news, we found somebody to take your seat," and so all good. That's right. They're gonna they just double dip it. Exactly, but which is greedy, I think. Yeah, but they're they're they can do that. They're a business. Yeah, I they're just not, think it's, and they were deregulated years ago, and yeah, that's that's where we. At right now. So is Congress, I mean, I guess what kind of action could they take? One thing that they are eyeing is making sure that issues are taken care of before they get on the flight. So mm-hmm. what we saw with the United incident is everyone had already been in their seats, buckled, and then they realized we have a problem here. We don't have enough seats. 
we need to get someone off of the plane. Yeah. So most issues are figured out at the gate prior to boarding. Um, I think one thing Congress might be willing and would be comfortable doing is saying you can still overbook, you can still bump people against their will, but it has to be figured out before those passengers get on the plane. The uh, doctor who was dragged off and um, lost teeth, broke his mm-hmm. nose, concussed, he, concussed. Uh, he settled with United. He did. We don't know how much he made, though. No, we can guess, though. Probably a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I prom- It went away quick. Real quick. It, it was smart. They, they're not going to take this to court. That would just be another public relations nightmare. That. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need that. But I, I just find it so interesting because I, I think that, like, airlines can get away with just about whatever they want. They can. And they really their, do treat people pretty terribly well, a lot of times. at their mercy, too. Right. And that's why Congress does feel like they have a role here. And they fly all the time, too. They're frequent flyers. They're flying every week. They have their own nightmare stories. Um, so there is some some sort of appetite here to do something. But at the same time, you know, especially with Republicans in control, they don't want to overregulate and they don't want to step on the toes of these big airlines who a lot of them are allies and yeah. have a huge lobbying presence on Capitol Hill. So to actually get some reforms done, it's going to be still an uphill battle. You know what's going to happen? I'll tell you how they get reforms done. One of these members of Congress is going to get in one of those overbooked seats, and they're going to have to drag his ass off the plane. Exactly. Then we'll have action. Right. Like, it's not going to be a reality for them until it hits them right in the face. Right. That's what I think is going to happen. Right. It's fascinating. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what happens with the uh, with, with the airlines and how, how they operate. Um, you have a piece here in The Hill, thehill.com. By the way, everybody should follow Melanie on Twitter. Yes, at that M-Zanona, Z-O-N-O-Z-O-Z-A-N-O-N-A. <laughs> you got the pronunciation right. Can you do it for me? With the spelling. Can you do it for me? Where can M- they follow you on Twitter? Z-A-N-O-N-A. I just misread. It's right here in front of me. I misread it. Fine. Uh, go follow Melanie on Twitter and read her good work at thehill, thehill.com. We have lots of good friends from The Hill who mm-hmm. come on the show. Uh, but you have a piece here about the GOP flashes the stop sign at the Trump gas tax. Love a good transportation pun. <laughs> pretty good. That's pretty good. There's a lot of them. Where is Trump on the tax, uh, the gas tax right now? Well, that's a really good question because he came out in the Bloomberg interview last week and caused waves through Capitol Hill by saying he is considering a, a gas tax increase. Um, and then quickly we saw Sean Spicer during the daily press briefing walk it back a little bit and said, actually, it was a transportation group that had come to the president and said, we support paying more <laughs> Um, you know, as a user fee system, you will pay more for the system that we use. And Trump said, "Okay, I will consider it. I'll be (laughs) open to it. Um, So it wasn't exactly his endorsement, but he didn't shut the door on it, which is also pretty significant compared to members of his own party and even the Obama administration. That's what I want to talk about. So so a a gas tax coming from the Republican president is a weird look. We unheard of even from a Democratic president. We haven't seen that since 1993. When Bill really? Clinton was president, that's the last. That's time the last raised. time we got saw a gas tax. Mm-hmm. So why is Trump going here? I mean, I, I mean, you mentioned the group that, that came in, but like, why would he I open think, that can of worms? Well, I think they're struggling to find ways to pay for this trillion dollar infrastructure package that they haven't released yet. It was supposed to be done maybe through tax reform. It, it wasn't in the plan that was released, so maybe this was something that he was putting on the table. And we've heard some of the transportation leaders on Capitol Hill say it's on the table, um, but having the president say that, you know. It's a it's a big deal. Republicans aren't going to go for that. No, like this Paul is Ryan not going. Is not this gonna is gonna is this dead? McConnell is not going to go for this. No way. No, and everyone I talk, Kevin Brady, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, pretty much put his foot down on Monday and said, "I personally don't support this." And if the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee is saying no, it's probably not going to happen. So this is over. 
It's pretty much over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that too. But that gets into the bigger question of the infrastructure that you just talked about. Uh, it was a big part of Donald Trump's stump speech when he was candidate Trump. Oh yes, I mean it was one of the only policy issues he mentioned in his uh, acceptance speech. And for the, I mean, look, we make a lot of fun of Donald Trump because I don't think he has a great grasp of the issues, but. Um, he seems to understand infrastructure. He doesn't understand how to pay for it. That's a whole separate issue. But he and understands right. the need for it and what and it he's means. He's a builder. He's been in the business. Um, he he understands what this would mean. How this could boost the economy. How this could create jobs. How it could, could attract democratic support. He's very keenly aware of that as well, which is why he's floated the idea of linking it to tax reform or even health care. Um, but we still haven't seen a proposal yet. When are we going to see a proposal? Do we have any idea? We're getting a little bit of whiplash here with timing. We've heard in the last month it's going to be fall. It's going to be May. It's going to be summer. It's going to be very soon. Uh, so it's it's anyone's guess at this point. There's lots of bets going on on Capitol Hill about when we're going to see some text. Yeah, I just like. I think we're in good shape. I think we're in good shape. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's all we needed. Uh, do we have any idea what it's going to look like? Like when he says infrastructure, what's going to be addressed? Because, again, this was something that the Obama administration right. hit on in a big way. Yeah. And, uh, and now here we are again. Right. And he ran into a buzzsaw of opposition from the Republican Party. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think with President Trump, what he wants to do is pull in more of the private sector, which is a way that Republicans would be comfortable supporting a trillion dollar infrastructure package, which also means it's not actually going to be a trillion dollars. Right, exactly. It's going to be around 200 billion is what we're hearing. Um, and that will leverage what's estimated to be a trillion worth of investment. Um, but there's going to be problems with that, too, because we have some rural Republicans, particularly in the Senate, who say that model, the public private partnership model doesn't work for their communities and small town projects and things that don't have a revenue source. So it's it's not going to be it can't all be private if they want it to get through the Senate. This is I mean, now more than ever is sort of this uh, situation where Democrats are going to have to make the argument of why government is good. Right. That's right. And so, like, we have fire stations and firemen and police stations and road and construction workers. And I know that this is a tired old thing. But, you know, Elizabeth Warren said a couple years ago, like. You created a multi-million dollar business. Congratulations. You deserve to live high on mm -hmm. that. But tax dollars paid for the roads for you to deliver your goods or services on. Police right. forces, you know, taxes pay for that to make sure that marauding bans don't come in and invade your business. And so, like, Trump to have to make the argument. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's tough. And we've it's seen, it's a really tough needle for him to Well, thread. we've also seen some Republican chairman, um, Bill Schuster of Pennsylvania. He's the head of the TNI committee, the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee in the House. He even this year put the wall, the words up on his wall of his committee room um, from the Constitution that says the roads are part of the government's role. And he has said repeatedly, I think the government has a, he says the government has a limited role. Defense is probably number one, national security number one. Number two, he says, is infrastructure. And that's the argument we are starting to hear now, that we have to get more Republicans on board with this idea. Look, I would love to see more Republicans just embrace the idea that, yes, we have a government, we pay taxes, tax dollars go to do these things. I think that's a tough sell to his party. But I, I'd love to see that happen more and more. Um, on the spending bill, mm -hmm. with, there were lots of possible cuts to transportation programs. What were some of the ones they were looking at, and how did that end up? There was a bunch. They... Uh, in 
President Trump's skinny budget, he proposed eliminating the Tiger Grant Program, which was set up by the Economic Stimulus Package in 2009. Um, they're very popular among states and cities. Uh, you know, anyone, anyone can really apply for it. There's tons of money in it. And they entirely proposed eliminating it, getting rid of it. Um, Republicans... Pretty. By the way, purely because it came from Obama. By yeah, the way. and there's some other issues. They were never technically authorized. They're mm. appropriate every year, but they were never authorized. There is an argument that they're not as effective, which I think is what the president and the administration used for cutting them. But they also, you know, proposed cutting rural air service, an, a program that allows rural communities to have air service in these areas where it otherwise otherwise wouldn't be financially viable. Um, again, lots of Republicans in those areas, lots yeah. of voters who voted for Trump would see cuts in those areas. Um, some transportation security administration programs, airport security programs, he, they propose cutting, saying they're not effective. Yeah. The Viper teams, the bomb sniffing dog teams, they propose cutting those. Um, but what we saw when the spending oh, bill came God. out is they, uh, they pretty much threw all those proposals in the trash and Republicans went ahead, saved all of those. In fact, some of them even got increases. What a weird way to govern. I mean, look. I mean, wh whatever you think about Trump, right? I'm not. I, 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 we've spent plenty of time beating up on him, but like, whatever you think about, like, that's just a weird way to govern. I think it's just sort of. Well, I chaotic. think they knew that it wasn't going to actually come to fruition. Sure. I think that was their way of making a statement, just in terms of where they're at, in terms sure. of cutting the budget and fiscally conservative. But they knew that those transportation programs weren't weren't going to actually be on the chopping block. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Trump, by the way, Jamie, I believe we've got something. This is a Bill Press Show breaking news update. Breaking news update. So as you talk about infrastructure this week, what's going on in the Hill? Uh, today, a big hearing. Sally Yates, former acting attorney general, will be testifying. Oh, that's the right. Senate that's today. Judiciary Committee. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump tweeting, just 26 minutes ago, General Flynn was given the highest security clearance by the Obama administration. But the fake news <laughs> seldom likes talking about that. Following up uh, about 15 minutes later, ask Sally Yates under oath if she knows how classified information got into the newspapers soon after she explained it to the White House counsel. Oh, my God. So Donald Trump's tweets Dude. this morning. Thank you, Jamie, for that. God. Oh, I'm sorry. He also congratulated. Oh, good. There's more. He also congratulated John Daly. On winning his first PGA Tour uh, champions. Wait, did John Daly win a yeah, tour? I, I, I meant to put that into full court this morning, but yeah. John of Daly course, won. he mentioned John Daly winning something. Yeah, lifetime alcoholic John Daly finally wins uh, on the PGA. Good for him, I guess. I like John Daly. <laughs> I do too. He's great. I, 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 I hope for all the best things for John Daly because I, I Trump, Trump calls him a great guy who never gave up. <laughs> I'm not going to call John Daly a great guy. But he did never give up. But he never gave he up. Never so gave up right on drinking that. and drugs. <laughs> John Daly's one of those guys that, like, probably every round of golf he's ever played, he's been drunk. Respect. <laughs> That's all. Uh, hey, I want to I want to throw you a curveball. Driverless cars. Mm. Yeah, you cover yeah. transportation That's right. issues. Uh, have it's you been in one of these driverless cars yet? I have. Come I, on, really? Yeah, an Audi. And you've lived to tell the tale. I did. Was it harrowing? It was a little freaky at first. Yeah, it was on the that. expressway. That's the other thing. It's what? Yeah, they don't. No, it wasn't like in a closed parking lot. No, it was on the expressway going around fifty miles an hour. Um, it's actually safer to. Are go. you kidding me? No. You by yourself in there, or you no, had somebody in there with there you? There was someone in the driver's seat. Okay, just in case um, things go. Just in case. All right. Okay and you have to drive yourself to get on the highway, and once you're on the highway, then you can take over with the self-driving. Oh. It's safer on highways 
because with stop signs yeah. and, you know, there's a lot of unknowns when you're just driving, even if it's a slow speed, when you're driving around the streets with the highway, everyone's going the same direction. There's not going to be a car or a, like a kid running out in front of you. Um, so technically, it's it's that's the safest way to go. No but it kidding. certainly doesn't feel like it. Congress has looked at this. Have they have they started to like they intervene or start slow, putting some regulations slowly, on this? Yes, very slowly. They're trying not to get caught flat-footed, kind of like they did with drones. Um, we saw some guidelines released. They're not binding. They're they're voluntary, flexible guidelines. They were released last fall, uh, and the new administration is quote evalu- reevaluating them to see uh, whether they want to go forward with them or change them or scrap them all together. So we haven't seen much activity from the new Department of Transportation, um, but it's certainly one of the hot issues. And on the Capitol Hill, there's already been hearings. There's some bills that are in the works. So this is an issue that lawmakers are eager to to put their stamp on. I'm fascinated by it. I mean, I just I, I think of everything you'd have to have fall into place to make this happen, right? Like That's in right. in Pittsburgh, they're doing the driverless mm-hmm. cars with Uber now. Big in Pittsburgh, they're doing it in. California, Arizona, Michigan actually is a big hotspot. So do they have drivers in the driver's seat in those Ubers? You just get into a robot car. They still, for the Ubers, they still have the driver. Okay. Right. I feel better about that. Yeah. (laughs) I feel better about that because I just, I've said before, I would probably get into a driverless car. I'm just not going to be the first person to get into the driverless car. After a few minutes, though, you kind of get used to it. I believe that. Yeah. I do like, oh, it's, it's working. Uh, one final story, um, and this goes back to last week, week before last, but Uber. Mm. Uber is, st- by the way, Jamie, I, I feel terrible. I had to I had to download Uber again. Oh, I did too. I I, used... I deleted Uber. I, yeah. I was good about it, man. Well, I use Uber Eats. Well, I had to use, I actually got in an Uber. I was out of town. I needed an Uber. I would love to see how many people delete it and have and put since it put it back. Yeah. If I'm here in D.C., I take cabs. And I always and like that's I, 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 I'll occasionally take a lift, but they're all terrible. They're, they're like they're not good for their workers. But I'll, I'll take the cab. But I had to download Uber. What, what's going on with Uber? What's the latest man. with Uber? I mean, they got all kinds of problems. Talk about bad PR. I mean, oh man, just brutal. one thing after another. The latest is that just the Justice Department is now investigating um, their use of this tool called Grayball. Have you heard of this? No. It's how they evaded authorities in places where they weren't technically allowed to operate. So they're able to flag down who is an authority and avoid picking up those people. That is shady, yeah. lady. Are you serious? Yeah. What are they doing? You know, they've always kind of had this business model of they would act first and worry about the repercussions yeah. later. I mean, that's how they got into so many cities. That's how they're so successful. Um, you know, they just started operating and then they would duke it out in these uh, local governments. And you know, that's just how they've operated, and it's worked well for them up until the last couple of months. What are the repercussions for something like that? Well, I guess we'll find out after yeah. the Justice Department investigates. But Wow, man. Yeah, that's it's, crazy. It's not good. Um, they've had some other problems, too. I mean, this privacy issue, that's another where yeah. area where Congress could actually step in and do something. Um, people who are deleting yeah. the app, like yourself, yeah. apparently in some cases they were still tracking the iPhones. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Which why they, why huge would they red that? flags. Well, they say it's a way to detect fraud, people who have stolen a phone or an account and are downloading yeah, multiple but... things. Um, and they've also said they've since modified it to comply with Apple's uh, standards. After they got caught. After they got personally called out reportedly by the CEO of Apple, brought in the CEO of Uber and said, you better quit it out or we're going to kick you out of the store. 
Wow. Yeah. You imagine if they got kicked out of the store? They'd be huge. They couldn't. They couldn't they'd be, operate they'd be without over. it. It'd be yeah, done. that's their whole model. Um, so yeah, they've they've had a quite an eventful couple months. The Uber, the Uber uh, ideology of uh, it's easier to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission right. is starting to catch up with them. When you're that like. big too, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, gotta, it's one like, thing when you're a small company, but now they're a huge, massive operation, and they're going to have to answer for some of the things that they've done. What a great conversation. Yeah. Melanie, this is her first Thanks trip to the show. Me. Hopefully it won't it be your is. last. I hope you come back yes. again soon. Would love uh, to. Follow her on Twitter at mzanona, M-Z-A-N-O-N-A, and read her good work at thehill.com. Thank yeah. you so much for coming Thanks in. Thanks for having me. Talk to you again soon. Uh, stay tuned to The Bill Price Show. We'll be right back. Uh, Andrea, come on. Look, look at that picture. Uh, Congresswoman Diane Black, the chair of the Budget Committee, I was standing next to her. Seema Verma, the administrator of CMS, I was standing right ne- next to her. Uh, th- this a is a group of dozens and dozens of people. You can cite two or three, two or three women. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 34 minutes past the hour. My name is Peter Ogburn, sitting in for Bill Press today on a Monday, May the 8th. Just another quick plug for our page on Patreon, patreon.com slash BP Show. We give you the show every day for free on YouTube. We give you the uh, audio version for free. Uh, and iTunes or in podcast form. We give it to you for free on your favorite progressive radio station or on your streaming app. But we are doing some new and cool stuff. Uh, we're interviewing people outside of the studio. We're taking it outside. We interviewed Greta Van Susteren at MSNBC. We put that up uh, last week. And we're also working on a new podcast series called The Making of Bernie Sanders, which you will have exclusive access to if you join our uh, efforts at Patreon. $5 a month is all we're asking, and we give you exclusive content, exclusive video, exclusive audio, exclusive commentary. Uh, you just got to go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash B-P show. So go check that out today. Meanwhile, joining me in studio is our buddy Joel Payne. Good to see you, buddy. Always, always good to see you. Happy Monday. I'm, I'm like I'm still in this point where like good progressives when I see him I'm like how's it going and um yeah. and everyone's like uh we're like you know and, and I'm complicated because I'm a Hillary progressive so and you're a Hillary it's progressive a whole, it's a whole, so it's a whole other it's a whole thing. thing yeah right <laughs> it's it's, it's, like, it's tough times out there for Democrats <laughs> just come on let us just like work through some stuff and we'll That's be right. fine That's eventually right. That's right um let's start in with healthcare Joel because like <sighs> there's so much like. We're now at a point, we talked a lot about what the House did with the uh, repeal and replace and how, right. how sort of cruel that is when you really look at it. And we're now in this point where we are, we are, they are, Republicans, are trying to rewrite history a little bit. Jamie, do you have that clip of Tom Price? He was on with Jake Tapper uh, over the weekend, and he was talking specifically about Medicaid. Absolutely not. And, and and we believe strongly that the Medicaid population that will be cared for in a better way under our program, because it'll be more responsive to them. These decisions will be made closer to them. Right now, you've got Washington, D.C. dictating to the states and dictating to patients exactly what must <laughs> occur. That's not how a, a healthy health system works. 
the reality is the Republicans, um, if you look at the House bill, it would cut federal funding for Medicaid by $839 billion. Yeah. I mean, look, I'd just like to fan out on this stuff for a second, right? Yeah. This is, they don't fundamentally believe that health care is a right. That's that's they, full, and so, that's, and so, and so that's the argument. That you, you that has to be the house that everything is built on, right? Like you either that's a that's a very interesting fork in a row. Either you believe in that or you don't believe in that. They don't. They believe it's an inconvenience to have to care for society. They believe people having pre existing conditions are an inconvenience. You saw Joe Walsh's tweet. You saw a tweet. You saw yeah. Raul Labrador talking about people don't die because they're waiting for health care. They do not fundamentally believe this is an issue. Right. So they don't treat it as a priority. So as much as I am frustrated um, with how they are proceeding, I'm not surprised because this is who they are. And they got a chance. They were in, they're in power. They have the opportunity to do this, and they're going to do what they're going to do. It, it is. It is. And we were just talking about this with the transportation stuff with our with our uh, previous guest. It really does come down to Democrats have to make the argument to their voters that the government serves a vital role, not just you know in making laws and things like that, but like you pay your taxes. It, it, the government is vital in building roads, maintaining roads. It, it, government is vital in taking care of its people, taking care of its citizens, and. I don't know what this weird obsession is with making sure that we preserve for-profit healthcare system. And really, what it, it will never be, work. And what it should be is: look, government intervention in healthcare should be about making sure that the for-profit industry is regulated, and, and there's a referee, and there's someone in there to kind of keep that in check. Yeah, that's that should be government's role. I got no problem with for-profit companies being for-profit companies, but you do have to have checks and balances on that, and that's where government has a role. So it's just a fundamental disagreement that they have with us about whether or not this is a priority for government. So you start from there. Then you go down. They don't prioritize this over other things in their agenda like a tax cut. This yeah. is a tax cut wrapped up yeah, in the health Yeah, that's bill. exactly what it is. It's not, it's not meant to make anyone healthier. It's not meant to save anyone from preexisting conditions. It's not meant to do any of the things that Obamacare was meant to do and that that entire debate was about. You know, I was in Reed's office during Obamacare. We could have done some things differently. But fundamentally, we were on the right side of history because we said it is important to do this to make sure that we are taking care of a big slice of our population. They don't believe that. Yeah. So that's that's where we do That's where we start. Yes. That's, yes, where, that's, they, where, that's start. where their conversation starts. Right. Yeah, I just um, it, it's it's so frustrating to watch after all these years of people who have voted against their best interest for Republicans. And I'm talking specifically uh, about Republican voters who desperately, desperately need this health care coverage. It, it's going to be I mean, if this keeps going the way that it's going, it's going to be very rude awakening. Yeah. And so and then that kind of gets me to and I, I've been kind of um, you know, I watched the Bill Maher segment. I don't know if you guys saw that from this weekend where he, I missed it. He really he talked he basically talked about how um, kind of going back now is are Donald and Hillary really the same person? Are Trump and Hillary really the same person? The, that whole that whole argument about hey, progressives now, one hundred and twenty days right. later, w- are you no, willing yeah, to admit yeah. that that's a that's a that's a that's flawed at best? Right? Like I get it, right? Like a lot of people, probably a lot of folks who listen to the station, probably like Bernie Sanders more than like Hillary Clinton. Sure, and there are probably a lot of things about Hillary Clinton that bothered them. Sure, I totally get it. And as sure. someone who worked for her, 
there was no shortage of understanding of her flaws even in that building. We understood that we had an imperfect candidate, but we also understood what was at stake. Yeah. These are this is when it matters. It matters when you have a a Republican majority that's out of control that's going nuclear on Supreme Court nominations that is jamming through a health care bill, really jamming it through. At least Democrats took six months to try to get some Republican co-sponsors. Republicans have not done anything like that. So, again, this is the difference. So when we have those interesting little discussions um, around our, you know, kind of wine sommeliers and (laughs) our, you know, like I don't mean to make fun of the progressive movement. When we have those those high-minded discussions— This is what it's about. Yeah. It's May. It's four months into Donald Trump's presidency. And everything that Barack Obama has built up over the last de- half decade is being torn down dismantled. in months. Systematically dismantled. Yes. Like, and, and it's not even – so the, I, want to, I want to be careful about where I go with this. But, like, Barack Obama, I think, a centrist Democrat, Absolutely. did a lot of wonderful things Absolutely. and tried really hard to compromise and work with Republicans, Absolutely. even all the way down to the Affordable Probably Care Act. Probably spent his first two years really, yeah. really going out of his way um, because I think he thought that's where the country was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you look at the Affordable Care Act, and like, I'm not a huge fan of the Affordable Care Act. By comparison to what we have now... It's a dream. Yeah. But I wasn't a huge fan of the Affordable Care Act because I thought, I mean, it's been well documented. It is a Republican plan, and it still kept the health care companies, the for-profit health care companies, in the mix, right? So the lesson, I think, from all of this is to understand, yes, you have a right as an American citizen to get that health care. You pay taxes, you deserve to be healthy, and these companies shouldn't be able to make wild, grotesque profits off of it. So no more compromising. Yeah, yeah. No more compromising. If Democrats want a single payer healthcare system, I'm not saying that that's where I. I mean, I am, but I'm not saying that's where you should definitely be. But if you are there, fight for it and settle for nothing less. And that's probably the biggest mistake I think that President Obama made was yeah. he took that off the table early. Yeah. He took listen. And for even what? If we didn't, even and for if what? Didn't, even if we didn't end up there, that was an important negotiating chip. That's an yeah. interesting leverage point to have. To say, hey, we're willing to do this, not as a threat, but because we think it's a, it's it's a it's the right way to approach the system. Yeah, and the Affordable Care Act, which it, as, again, it did a lot of great things. It didn't take care of a lot of people it really needed to take care yes. of, and the way that they needed to be taken care of. And if you can make the argument that the government is here to help you and will benefit you, then a single payer uh, health care plan for these rural Trump voters who are sick, right. some of them are sick or have family members that are sick and need that help. I mean, I think that a lot of people assume that with Obamacare, I, well, I automatically get health care. Well, it still costs money. And, and also, too, we have to remember the right way to look at any type of gradual social program change like this is it is supposed to be gradual. In other words, yeah. you're not you're not going to get it right on the first go. Exactly. No one's going to – you're not going to wave a magic wand to solve health care in one bill in March in 2009. It's <laughs> right. going to take time. That's a first step. You're supposed to build on it. If Republicans were genuine about wanting to actually go and make sure that people were healthier and make sure that people had more opportunity to access health care, what they would have done was they would have said, hey, we're going to build on this bill. Yeah. We're going to fix the things that are wrong, which, by the way, there's plenty of things that are wrong with it. Oh, yeah. There are plenty of things we need to fix with it. And I wish they would, they would have focused on that. So we've got this House bill. 
They finally got rid of it. It's finally done. It goes on to the Senate. Uh, Susan Collins from Maine yesterday sort of showed their hand of where they are in the Senate. The House bill is not going to come before us. The Senate is starting from scratch. We're going to draft our own bill, and I'm convinced that we're going to take the time to do it right. So whatever we just got out of the House, forget Forget about it. That Forget about just, it. That was just a, a, a nice little gift to their base <laughs> to make their base feel good. So and now you know, what? Well, what, I, what I'd say, too, is and I, I really respect Susan Collins a lot. I wish Mitch McConnell did. I wish he didn't have an all-male health care panel yeah. um, that, that he put together. The, the blind spots that these folks have on where the country is and who we are as a people and the diversity of our population is amazing to me. The fact that they can have all old, middle-aged white men determining health care for a diverse country, um, no women, no minorities, no people probably under the age of 60. It's amazing to me that they cannot figure that out. And what I'm realizing is it's not a mistake. It's on purpose. That's who they are. Yeah, that's who that, they are. That 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 is exactly that who show they are. that that Donald Trump put on on Friday at the at the White House with all of that. That's who they are. Yeah. They've always wanted to do that. So there's no shame in their game. Yeah. By the way, uh, you mentioned Mitch McConnell on one of the cable news programs this morning. Chris Coons, the Democratic senator from Delaware, predicting that Mitch McConnell will go slow on health care with no conference bill until after November 18th. It could be that long until that bill actually gets to the Senate floor. Jeez. I mean... Well, look, that is the smart play for Mitch McConnell. Yeah, look, Mitch yeah, McConnell yeah, yeah. actually knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, you know, despite the fact that I, I disagree with his politics, he actually understands how to legislate and understands how to build oh, out a legislative we, agenda. We we should make sure that's on the table. Mitch McConnell yeah. is a genius yeah. politically. Yeah, yeah, he knows he knows what he's doing. Um, and so I actually, yeah, I think it would be smart for them to slow walk this. It's the opposite of where Democrats were in 2009, where it killed us every yeah. month, every week and yeah. month that the health care bill went by without doing anything. Yeah. It actually yeah. would behoove them to slow it down and walk it up and down the court. I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. Um, I, and, and, you know, I, I, I love the, the progressives who are saying, well, like, okay, all right, it's okay. It made it out of the House, but this isn't, the Senate's not going to, I have zero confidence in the Senate to do something less damaging than what the House gave us, less cruel. I have absolutely zero confidence in this. I'm sorry, Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton. Yeah. These guys in the Senate are going to do a better job than what the House did. I'm not so sure. I, I I agree with that in terms of, you know, the 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 core belief structure there, right? But I will say this, the energy out there is real. And oh, it's yeah. not just progressives, man. It's Look, Donald Trump perpetrated a, a lie, right? When he was campaigning, your premiums are going to go down, you're going to have more coverage. for everybody. Healthcare Everyone's going to be covered. You get a car, you get a car, everyone <laughs> gets a car. I mean, he did the whole thing and Look, he's turned out to be what we all knew he was. He's a charlatan. He's a he's a he's he's not being honest about this. He's not being a fair dealer about this. So, I, you know, I I actually think that um, the energy out there is real. I think that Republicans. I didn't think the House was in play um, for 2018 up until about a week or two ago. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I don't know if we'll win it, but I think it's, it's tough. It's, it's really tough, but it's it's a lot of seats you got to turn, and there's a lot of vulnerable districts. I will say it would be important for Democrats, for progressives, to not go and, and celebrate as if the the battle's over, right? Because it's a long time between now and November 2018. As as um, 
grotesque as the spiking the ball and the party that the Republicans had uh, after it made it through the House. But light, baby. The, 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 <laughs> the, the Democrats that were singing, na, 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 hey, hey, yeah. hey. It's not a good look. It's guys. not a good look. It's I mean, it's very look, Deshaun Jackson. Anyone who knows what I'm talking about, I know you're a sports fan. You know, <laughs> like I'm on the five yard line. Yeah. I'm going to do a cartwheel yeah. to the end zone and fumble the ball. What up, Sip? Democrats yeah. are being very Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, waiting for Sip to tear be, that door I would, down. But. I would just be careful about that because it's 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 such a long time. What, yeah, what, 15 months. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really long time. Yeah, and then there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, and that actually, I want to ask you about that. So. Republicans have their House bill that's through the House now. Senate's working on it. What role do Democrats have these days, elected Democrats, in the sense that, like, should they, could they be working on some sort of legislation to put up and at least say, like, hey, look, this is our plan and this is the way forward? I know that they obviously have a lot of um, questions they need to answer on their own, right, before they really yeah. unify and go down that path. But it, it does feel like Democrats really are on the sidelines. Yeah, Democrats are on the sidelines, but listen, it, that that's not altogether a terrible thing. It's okay to be it's okay to be a good uh, counterpuncher. Yeah, and and I think that actually Schumer has been really good. I've actually been impressed with Pelosi too. I think she's been really good, and I think that she's been re-energized by by this fight. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, there's very limited things you can do. You can try to drop in amendments to kill measures. You can, you know, you can speechify. You can do what Chris Murphy did when he went. You know, I think it was a year ago he went and did the whole thing on Newtown. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Did the, he did the, um, you know, the 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 talkathon. Um, those are the types of things you can do, but you really can't do much um, to influence the process. The people who do have power are the people like Joe Manchin, yeah. are the Claire McCaskills of the world, are the Heidi Heitkamps who are actually votes in the middle that if Donald Trump wants to go and start to make a turn into being, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go and be a deal maker. Those are the people who he's going to start trying to make deals with. So those are the folks who have power. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good point, because we are going to get to a, a, a period where Donald Trump is going to have to do that, I think. Yeah. To get yeah. some stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. And, Man, you know, I, I think the interesting thing about being Donald Trump and not having no ideology is that is totally consistent with his entire political yeah. you know, background right he's got he, he this this week he can be like hey we're just gonna let syria decide what syria's gonna do next week we're gonna bomb uh airfields uh, well this is that picture this this is what i mean we, we talked about this a little bit with with the mcconnell stuff mcconnell is so smart in that mcconnell can see around corners yeah whereas donald trump can't see anything until it's right in front of his face and even sometimes when it's right even- in his face <laughs> He still yeah. misses it. And the other thing, it, it, on your point of dealing with Democrats, uh, Donald Trump, for all of his bluster about being such a great deal maker, he he's never seen somebody that can negotiate quite like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, Nancy Pelosi's been around for a long time for a good reason. Everybody likes to paint her as a San Francisco liberal. Like she came up in Baltimore politics, yes. and that is no joke. Yes, you saw the wire. Yeah, right. Um. Yeah, you know exactly what we're talking about. Like she knows what she's doing. Well, and I think what this does, you know, again, and this is the kind of political piece of this that probably people who are, you know, waiting for health care don't care about. Um, but the part that, that this does show is that in 2009 and 10, when Democrats were pushing health care, that was legislative magic. To yeah. be able to actually get 60 votes to do the things that they did to overturn the health care system, 
um, to actually create a fairer system, even though it's not a perfect system, to do that, for Pelosi to be able to get enough votes to count those votes, for Reid to be able to do that, yeah. for Obama to be able to create the environment to do that. I think that shows how much of an achievement that was. I think that's been something that was underrated as, you know, the healthcare rollout was botched a little bit and there were some things that we could have done better. I think we forgot about that, but that's, you know, I, I, I hope that this kind of allows people to see how impressive that actually yeah. was. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. I want to switch gears because the big thing that uh, everybody was focusing on was repeal and replace, repeal and replace. Republicans couldn't get it done. They finally got it done out of the House. So now what? Donald Trump has sort of hinted at tax reform. Um, is, that gonna, is that a reality or how? I mean, it seems to me that it's a lot more difficult to get sorted out than healthcare because healthcare really wasn't them pushing forward a new idea. They were just saying, we're going to get rid of this old idea. Yeah. Tax reform, they're going to have to come up with a totally new system. Well, didn't, didn't he just do his tax reform bill with, with healthcare? Seems didn't he, like didn't it. he just do that? That seems like it. What I, what I had been reading, what I'd heard was that, um, you know, Trump's uh, financial people were, were telling him to kind of push back a little bit on tax reform. It sounds like maybe they're going to try to, you know, move to it next, but you never know with, with this president, with, with, you know, with this uh, Republican leadership. I will say this, you know, he spent 16 months campaigning about, oh, I'm going to, you know, level the playing field. I'm going to drain the swamp. Okay, so his Treasury Secretary, Goldman, his chief strategist, Goldman. Uh, I <laughs> yeah. mean, you know, yeah. again, it, it, it just I, I think it's important for us to go back and also look at all the statements, all the things that Donald Trump said over that campaign. That was absolute BS and nonsense. Um, and the fact that he was going to go and, and level the playing field for the little guy and be the friend of the working class, I think we've seen is just, you know, nonsensical. So I don't know what he's going to do on tax reform. Be, frankly, I don't think he knows what he's going to do on tax reform. Yeah. Um, but I've heard that they're going to push back on that a little bit. I'll be curious to see what that looks like. Yeah. I really will be curious to see what that looks like. I think he has a very specific idea in his head of what tax reform well, looks like, I, and it's not sellable. I also think it's um, – I, I love that Republicans uh, love to celebrate the whole idea of, well, our bill was only three pages long. Like, that, like th look, again, this is where people need to come in and reset the expectation. It's okay <laughs> for a bill to be long and complicated – yeah. And for it to consider a lot of different perspectives. Yeah. It's okay. That's all it right. Should, it should not be celebrated that a bill took you 35 minutes to write. To write should, on your iPhone. It should, not, it should not have taken me longer to write my homeroom assignment, okay, in 11th <laughs> right. grade, and it right. took you to write a bill to, to turn over the tax yeah. uh, system. No, I agree. Yeah. We elect these people to go do the hard stuff. Yes. We elect these people so that I don't have to do it. By I want way, you to go do it. People like Hillary, they like doing the hard stuff. Sure. Obama, they like doing the hard stuff. Yeah. People like Mitch McConnell like doing the hard stuff. Yes. Yes. Donald right. Trump? No. Not so much. No. Not so much. Uh, we have about three minutes left. I want to ask you, John Allen is a friend of the show. Yeah. He uh, he hosts the show. Uh, he does a podcast on District Productive, which is our, our network that the Bill Press Show is on, which you should go subscribe to the Bill Press Show on iTunes if you haven't already. At DP Podcasts on Twitter as well. At DP Podcasts on yeah. Twitter. Give Look us at a Jamie. follow. Like a, like a, like a, a, a the spot. excellent social media manager that he is. That's right. Um, so they wrote, uh, John Allen, our friend Amy Parnes, uh, wrote a book called Shattered. It took a take a look inside the Hillary Clinton campaign. You were part of that Hillary Clinton yeah. campaign. Uh, did you read the book? I read part of the book. I didn't get through the entire thing, right. but, but I lived it too. So I kind of Do you see know. anything you recognized in there or? 
Yeah, look, I mean, this is the deal, man. <laughs> look, when you lose, and I've said this before, everything's up for analysis, right? Sure. So, like, you know, if you lose, everything you did was wrong. If you win, everything you did was right. All of a sudden, Donald Trump insulting women was right because he won. No, it's not. But that's how. But that's how people. That's how people. You know, just really easily process this stuff. Okay. Um, it was not a perfect campaign in terms of strategy. Um, obviously, in terms of some of the analytics that we were looking at, I do not think it was hubris. Um, I think for the most part, you had people working together, all kind of pulling together for a common cause. And I think you had a candidate that had some real liabilities. Sure. Um, and I think she still got three million more votes than the sitting president. Yeah. And I think we can never forget. Never. That. No, no, no. I think that, that is, is that is a, that is not critically an insignificant point that we can ever forget. But, yeah, I mean, it's campaign. Look, had we won, those things would have still been true. Sure. Look, I, I you know, I think I, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm nearly over talking about what went wrong and all that. I think it's still worth talking about yeah. because I think that Democrats, a lot of them haven't learned the right lessons. I think that the book brings up a, a lot of really, really good points. I am also sick and tired and over this idea that Hillary Clinton has to come out and grovel for her, like, forgive. Like, people were freaking out. She gave that that interview last week or a week before, I guess it was she last said week. she's a part of the resistance. Well, she said she's a part of the resistance. Like, look, do, yeah. I don't want to be a part of the resistance. I just wanted to just, like, go away and retire. And that's yeah. cool. That's yeah. fine. There's no shame in yeah. that. That's okay. That she's the. I think she's the wrong candidate for the wrong time. But this idea that she has to come out and say, like, I'm sorry I did all this wrong, and this is what I did wrong, and I just want to come out and apologize. Like, I'm just tired of people expecting that out of her because – that's not what politicians do. We never I, expect that from any other politician. Yeah. I know it is not chic to go and and uh, and apologize for Hillary Clinton or to go and defend Hillary Clinton. That woman cares about people, man. Yeah. She cares about the little stuff. Yeah, she's imperfect. Yeah, she's made some mistakes. Um, she's she's not packaged as the perfect candidate for 2016, 17. Yeah. But, man, she cares a lot about people. Yeah. And I grew in my respect for her. I worked for John Edwards in 2008, and I never thought I would work for Hillary Clinton, and I did. And I really, really respected her and respected her approach to, to trying to make life better for a lot of Americans. Always a good conversation with our buddy Joel Payne. Go follow him on Twitter at PayneDC, P-A-Y-N-E-D-C. Good stuff, man. Thanks for coming in. We'll talk to you again soon. It's Bill Presho. Go get the podcast on iTunes. going to be up there in just a few moments. This is the Bill Press Show.